Before we get started, here's a quick message from our sponsor, Content Square. How do you create digital experiences that keep visitors engaged all the way to conversion? By analyzing every click, tap, scroll, and swipe, and turning these insights into profitable actions. Content Square is a digital insights platform that helps businesses understand how and why users are interacting with their app, mobile, and websites. Trusted by leading fashion and luxury retailers worldwide, they have helped hundreds of teams accelerate their reactivity and boost ROI with smart, instant UX insights. Learn more at contentsquare.com. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to The Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and on this episode, Ryan Oro, co-founder of Vanessa Stoffenwalker, discussed how her company is creating a new manufacturing system for the diamond industry, making decisions based on both data and intuition, and teaching customers about the new way forward for fine jewelry. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you... Your brand, you grow your own diamonds. So tell us a little bit about how you saw like an opportunity to build a company based off of that and, and how you kind of led into this model where, you know, it's it's much more ethical. Like how did you sort of reimagine a, a diamond brand today? Yeah, so I actually don't have a background in the jewelry industry. I came uh, to it in a very roundabout way. I started a uh gifting site earlier on, a gifting startup that helped match uh, gifters with gifts for their significant others. So uh, we quickly realized that men were in the most need for gifting help. Mm -hmm. So uh, fine jewelry was the number one gift that men give women. So we became this kind of curated marketplace for fine jewelry and started to realize during that time that uh, the fine jewelry industry was very traditional, uh, very fragmented, and it didn't connect to me personally. It was very marked up, uh, and a lot of the mass jewelers were getting products made overseas, um, actually just choosing products that are already created from catalogs, putting their name on it, marking it up, selling to us, then we're selling it to consumers. And it just seemed like, uh, you know, not a very transparent and honest way to do business. So mm-hmm. I, that kind of was the inspiration for how uh, I started Brianoro and what became um, kind of a more modern take on fine jewelry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how we kind of evolved into a, a diamond focused brand was really when we launched into engagement rings. And uh, Two years ago, I uh, started looking into the engagement industry and knew you know we're founded through transparency, and I knew we wanted to offer our customers a transparent way uh, to know where their diamonds are coming from. So mm-hmm. I did research on the diamond industry and realized that you really can't tell and trace back a diamond to its origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you reach a lot of middlemen in the process, and unless you are large enough to own a mine, which we were not, mm-hmm. uh, you're really not going to get the transparency that you're looking for. Uh, not to mention that a lot of the diamond, the traditional diamond industry is, is funding a kind of conflict that you don't necessarily want to be involved in. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel right to me to be involved in that kind of industry. And I uh, came across Diamond Foundry and was really excited what they're doing, which is growing diamonds through solar technology. Mm-hmm. And loved the approach and learned about the growing process of it and uh, decided that that was exactly what we were looking for and switched all of our diamonds over to uh, grown diamonds. Awesome. 
so a lot to unpack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, the fine jewelry industry is soup is pretty traditional. It's antiquated a bit. Uh, what did you find that you know your customers that you were working with through this marketplace were were looking for more out of a out of a brand where they're buying fine jewelry? Like, what was it about the customer experience that you felt like you could do better? Uh, I feel mostly it was about the honesty and the approach mm-hmm. and being transparent. So I saw myself in you know seeing these products online, it just wasn't telling the same story as how they were produced and what was actually going on behind the scenes. So it didn't feel honest to me. And uh, I wanted to create a brand that felt very transparent from the inside out. So mm-hmm. built kind of from the ground up, uh, talked transparently to customers and had, uh, you know, told the whole story from the materials to the pricing structure, to the team, to how the products are produced mm-hmm. uh, from start to finish. Yeah, how does that change like how people perceive value today? Like how do you respond to what what customers like look look at and they identify as something being valuable? Like what's worth a certain amount of money? I think right now we hear so much about like markups and trying to cut out the middleman and, and transfer that value onto the customers, but how do you even sort of introduce them to a new way of thinking about how things should be priced and what the brand story means when it should match up to the product? Like it's almost like rewriting that misconception around like you like you said it's not really it wasn't hasn't been really honest it hadn't been transparent enough how do you sort of start that conversation in a new way and how did people respond well I think one of the biggest issue with traditional retail is that brands were not having conversations with the customers they were selling to retailers and then retailers were having a direct conversation with customers through their stores but now brands are able to go you know directly speak to customers which allows you to have those kind of deeper conversations similar to how you would talk to a friend it's mm-hmm. you know it's a, a much more honest and um, in-depth conversation about how things are made and um, why things cost the way that they do. And all of our products are made in Los Angeles, so there's a certain price tag that comes along with that. And especially with fine jewelry, there's um, raw material costs. So most of our costs come from the actual raw materials and being able to have that dialogue with our customers and Mm -hmm. let them know, this is what the gold costs, this is what the labor costs, uh, this is what we are, you know, taking for our overhead. And um, it creates just a much more trust between the customer and the uh, the store and the retail. Mm-hmm. How did you find the right partners to, to do this? Because I imagine you know a lot of these, like you said, there's like a lot of hands in the in the mix when mm-hmm. it comes to this industry, and I'm sure that they're really used to doing things a certain way. So how do you sort of like weed through all of the potential partners and find the ones that kind of understood what you and your brand were, were going for? Yeah, that's a good question. We went through uh, a lot of different partners and a lot of different exploration to find the ones that fit and. For me, like my motto has always been uh, to hire or work with people for mindset fit over a skill set fit mm-hmm. uh, because you know minds are really hard to change and skills are easy to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we always look for partners that have share the same mindset as us and they're looking forward, they're open-minded, they're excited to try new things and they're uh, they're looking to technology to solve solve issues in their industries. And yeah, the jewelry industry is very traditional. A lot of people are still using fax machines mm-hmm. and... <laughs> Uh, so when we came across manufacturers that are, you know, implementing these uh, new ERP systems and they're trying to tie in, you know, their data system to our data system, I'm like, okay, this can work. Like we can we can build something cool together. Mm-hmm. And so, so where does technology play a role in your manufacturing process? Like where do you see a lot of opportunities with tech on the market? Like anything from like the, that inventory management system to 
something like uh, blockchain to sort of track, mm-hmm. you know, that impossible to track diamond. Uh, how does that play a role and, and shape your brand into what you see as being a modern a modern take on a fine jewelry business? Yeah, it's a it's a huge uh, huge advantage that we have is embracing technology. Uh, everything from how our products are manufactured and we're using three D technology to print uh, print the, each ring that we so if you buy an engagement ring, it's it's three D printed and then cast to your individual individual diamond specs. Uh, to like you mentioned, kind of how we're storing our jewelry, to how the diamonds are stored and delivered. Everything has a, a technological component to it mm-hmm. uh, that makes things much more efficient, but also just uh, improves the the quality of what we can offer to the customer. Mm-hmm. And how big is your team now? Uh, we have about thirty five people. Okay, wow. So how are you like prioritizing essentially? Like, what do you find to be the most important thing that you know, you get in front of the customer and then sort of work work backwards from there. Like, I'm sure there's a ton, like technology is expensive. It's a ton of investment. Uh, how do you sort of, you know, weigh the costs with the, the efficiencies and, and everything that, that comes into growing the business a little bit more, you know, in a smarter way than, than other mm-hmm. brands might have in the past? For me, the approach is always what is best for the customer first. So if we can mm-hmm. improve the customer's experience in a certain way and invest in technology that will do that, that will always be my uh, you know, initial go-to. Um, I'd rather us do a lot of the heavy lifting on the back end if it can improve the customer experience on the front end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, putting the customer first is always... It's always my go-to. Mm-hmm. And so, how does that fall down to like the the product itself? Like, you started um, in fine jewelry in general, then moved more into engagement rings and diamonds. Can you just take us through like that product evolution and and what where you see as the brand's differentiation from the product side? Yeah. So when I started, it was really about creating a product that spoke to me personally and that encapsulated values. Uh, I've never seen myself as running a a fine jewelry company. It still sounds weird to say that. Uh, Really, for me, jewelry is a way to communicate something deeper, like a deeper meaning and deeper values. And uh, our our initial collection, we launched with 10 designs. Uh, It was very much about the details of the product. So can you sleep in these earrings? How does this necklace lay on your neck? Uh, Can you type with these rings on or is it annoying? Mm -hmm. All these little details and really thinking about um, the kind of the forgotten details of fine jewelry that are overlooked for trends and uh, mm-hmm. style purposes. So really concentrating on the core and building that foundation. And then when we started approaching the topic of engagement rings, I really wanted to, again, have a conversation with jewelry and use it as a way to help people think differently about what they're buying. And engagement rings are so traditional. They're one of the most traditional purchases. And it's, you know, traditionally a a man that's buying for a woman. And I I really wanted to open that up to make the process more inclusive and to allow women to feel more comfortable to be a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So we created our uh, mock ring box, which allows women or men to uh, choose three rings and try them on at home. And really for us, that was our way of being a an easy conversation starter for mm-hmm. people to talk about the engagement ring process together and to open it up. And it's amazing to see how many people are actually using it that way as a, a way to, you know, take the stigmas of the industry and kind of turn them on their head. Mm-hmm. So that's um, been a really, you know, that's what we've been focusing on the, for the past few years. And now we're you know, taking that idea of bringing the customer into the product and and evolving that even further. So going back to kind of the core of of, um, designing these 
foundational design. So looking at the setting and the prongs and the clasp and all these little details that make uh, jewelry easier to use or easier to wear or solving all of the customer pain points in jewelry. Mm -hmm. And then allowing the customer to really um, take that base and personalize it for themselves. So uh, opening it up so you can choose your your diamond uh, carat weight, you can choose your diamond shape, uh, you can choose your gold color, you can engrave. So really um, allowing the customer to tell their own story with the jewelry. Mm-hmm. So super customizable. Mm-hmm. And so with the with the um, like try on set, you can most like propose with like three different rings and then, then she decides which one she wants. If you want, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some people do propose with three different rings. Um, but a lot of times customers are coming and getting the rings to try on before and we're we're seeing that it's just more of a conversation now mm-hmm. before people are talking about it now before mm-hmm. they get engaged and it's more of a two-way street than it used to be. Right. It used to be very much like a man proposes and a woman accepts mm-hmm. and now it's kind of the two of them, you know, uh, a couple just deciding, uh, deciding together. Mm-hmm. And so... So who is like your customer and how do you get this, this new brand in front of them? Because I feel like, you know, when people, this is a very, it's a, these are really highly specific purchases. They're really considered. And so when you're, I'm sure people are doing a bunch of research before then, like how for this category, do you make sure that you're building brand awareness and, and being part of that, that search process and, and getting it out there? Because I'm sure, you know, you have all of these super traditional brands that have been along forever. And so that's probably more top of mind. People might not realize that there are the new options out there. Um, do you find that people are looking for alternatives? And, and even if they're not specifically looking for something new, how do you make sure you're, you're part of that, uh, you know, discovery process? Yeah, yeah, most of our customers do come from a discovery process. Um, mm-hmm. They're not necessarily searching for fine jewelry, uh, but they do discover us and you know, it, something about what we do connects to them and their values. So we try and be, again, in front of the people that share the right mindset because uh, jewelry is something that holds so much meaning and value and tells a story. So when the right time comes, we want to be kind of front of mind uh, uh, when she's you know, has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's really about that discovery process and uh, so what do you, what, what, like what types of, of channels, like what, what's that discovery process made up of? So most of our uh, efforts right now are through Instagram. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of social outreach. And then from there, once we've kind of, uh, someone has discovered us, we really focus on uh, the lifetime of that customer. So taking them through a journey and education process. So our email is really built to be this tool to give them insight into everything from our manufacturing process to how our diamonds are grown to what a diamond even means. What is cut of a diamond? Uh, so really kind of living with them for, for beyond just that discovery. Mm-hmm. And so Instagram has been the most effective channel, you would say? Yeah, Instagram for discovery and mm-hmm. then email for kind of a life cycle. Mm-hmm. Everything after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so yeah, what, what type of customer do you think is, is looking for this type of this brand and this product and, you know, has been attracted to you guys? I'd like to think it's every modern woman. And by modern, I just mean uh, someone that's kind of questioning traditions and thinking differently about how things have been done in the past. And mm-hmm. she's conscious and uh, she's concerned about where her things are coming from. She's asking questions and she's she's curious. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Want to know the ROI of that new product banner on your homepage? 
looking to find out why a recently launched social campaign is not generating the expected revenue? And wouldn't it be great if you could show creative, branding, and even executive teams the impact of a new product video or seasonal campaign in just one click? You can. Content Square is a digital insights platform that helps businesses understand how and why users are interacting with their app, mobile, and websites. They compute billions of touch and mouse movements and provide brands with everything they need to create memorable, converting digital experiences. Find out more at contentsquare.com. Can't get enough of the Glossy Podcast? Then be sure to check out our other show, the Glossy Beauty Podcast, where each week, Glossy's beauty editor, Priya Rao, sits down with leaders in the beauty and wellness industries. This week, she is joined by Sarah Lee and Christine Chang, the co-founders and co-CEOs of Glow Recipe. In this episode, Sarah and Christine talk about creating an online destination for K-Beauty products, throwing a product launch party at a mattress store, and what exactly an avocado is. You can find new episodes of the Glossy Beauty Podcast every Thursday on Glossy.co or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and leave us any feedback you have. Now, back to the episode. So you mentioned like the education is such a, um, I'm sure an important part of it. How do you work that in and into your overall like strategy when it comes to everything from email to Instagram and social, like where, like, how do you figure out like what the right time is to even like introduce to someone like, oh, this is how like the diamonds are grown, like in making sure that you're not like people aren't just like overwhelmed and and confused. There's a lot of information, so it can easily become overwhelmed for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, But that's kind of part of our job I see it as taking all this information and simplifying it and so that's what we spend a lot of our time on is how to simplify all of this information so it's digestible Mm -hmm. especially diamonds it's a very complicated subject Uh, but I like to think of it as kind of like a like a fine wine and you can be a connoisseur of wine you can know all about it and you can know every note of the wine and you know it can be very complex or you can just have a really nice glass of wine and enjoy it Mm -hmm. and to me that's kind of how I feel about um, uh, a lot of the educational process you can you can simply enjoy it you don't need to know every single thing about it to uh, have a good experience with it mm-hmm. so we try and give the most essential information don't try and make it overwhelming I feel like a lot of the uh, traditional the traditional way to do it is to make it overwhelming and complex so it seems like you know you have to trust this person to buy something so expensive but for us we want to kind of do the opposite and mm-hmm. make it more approachable mm-hmm. yeah I think you know approachable, in that area, like just like luxury and, and fine jewelry is becoming a much more, you know, prevalent conversation. So where do you see Vayanoro sitting in that as it goes forward? Like, well, how do you th- see customer, um, you know, priorities changing, customer behavior changing around how they make these purchasing decisions? And how do you make sure that you're sort of at the forefront of that conversation? I think uh, traditional luxury is seen as very exclusive, mm-hmm. uh, and it was purchased for a symbol of status. I think modern luxury is much more inclusive, and it's being purchased as a symbol of values and a symbol of of something uh, that's either sustainable or something meaningful, and again, a story that you can tell. So I do see us, um, you know, my hope for Vrenero is to be the the leader in modern luxury for fine jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking about the like purchasing process, you mentioned like you have to, you can buy and like try them on at home. What about an in-store strategy? Has that been something that you've considered or have gone into yet? Yeah. So we had a little test with Mm in-store and we weren't ready for it yet, but we've done a few pop-ups in the past few years 
definitely gearing up for something, uh, but we just want to make sure it's a, a thoughtful experience through and through. I think the last thing we want to do is just open up a, another jewelry store. Mm-hmm. We really want to be able to solve customer pain points with the store and figure out why people would come to a store versus buy online and how can we create those experiences in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about like the traditional like jewelry store? Would you want to change? Uh, definitely want to remove the glass case and, uh, again, create a much more approachable experience. And it should be educational. It should be fun. It should be approachable. And uh, it should feel different than than your journey online. It should feel like you're you're getting something different than when you're just going to our website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you find that people are shopping the website and like saying like, oh, like I want to try this on in person and then, you know, like you said, you have the ability to try on from online, but what about that like, you, like you said, it's becoming more of a decision, more of a conversation for people going out to buy these. So how do you, where do you see, like do you see it like playing a bigger role down the line? Definitely. I feel like, uh, you know, retail stores are a natural next step for brands. It's mm-hmm. like, it's just another way to have conversations with customers. And right now we're so used to having a digital conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think that in real life conversation is just as, if not even more important to have. Uh, it's just about doing it the right way. Yeah. And when it comes to those customer conversations, like what do you, how do you take that customer data make like, you know, decisions from it and make sure that it does feel like a conversation with the customer. I feel like, you know, we hear a lot like, oh, there's so much customer data. There's so many talking mm-hmm. points that you can have today. Whereas in the past, like you said, brands were intermediated by retailers. How do you sort of make sure that that is able to be packaged and, and acted yeah. upon and it's not just sort of all just washing Sitting over there. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there in a database, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, well, we do, I mean, we're very data-driven, we're very digital first, but we're also very intuitive. And I think that, you know, we don't make all of our decisions based on pure data. And I think that's a mistake that some companies can make is just mm-hmm. look at data and make decisions on paper uh, without seeing kind of the human aspect of it. And we're very human focused in a sense that we like to listen and whether that's just comments not even directed to us on Instagram or uh, you know emails that are written in um, really any touch point that we have with the customer it's about listening taking in feedback having conversations with the team and having meetings around how can we solve for this pain point mm-hmm. and taking a more human approach to it mm-hmm. yeah what's something that you learned from the customer data that, that you are able to say like okay this is something that we could try or do differently and, and really respond to that uh well right now we're going to we're you know we're involving them more in the design process mm-hmm. so we're seeing that customers want to have more of a hand and they want to add that personalization so that's something that we're we're taking we're you know completely recreating our supply chain to create this like on demand type of offering mm-hmm. uh and you know implementing that from packaging to delivery mm-hmm. yeah what has to happen in the supply chain to make the, the rings and everything more customizable. I'm sure it's, it's not, yeah, no, no small lift. Yeah, our, our manufacturers are taking on a huge, uh, huge undertaking right now with us, which is really exciting mm-hmm. uh, for them and for us. Uh, but really, what they would have to do is is change how they've been doing things for a really long time and uh, go into you know typically there's like an inventory model and a made-to-order model, and what we're trying to create is this on-demand model, which is something in between, mm. which is... Yeah, how does that... How, what's the difference exactly? 
So something that's made to order is completely custom from start to finish. You're mm-hmm. starting with like a CAD drawing and then you're getting it cast and created and, and set. And so there's a really long uh, time period there fastest is around 10 days and then inventory you're you're kind of like on an assembly line and you're kind of just doing uh the same thing and you have inventory and you hold on to it and then when a sale comes you you send that inventory pretty Mm -hmm. quickly and right now what we're trying to do is is uh merge the two allow for that customization that comes with made to order but allow for that convenience that comes with inventory Mm -hmm. and have all of the you know we're, we're designing all of the elements in a very unique way so again like the clasp on a chain, all mm. of these small little details. How can we have all of those details ready to go and then assemble the last uh, the last of the pieces, which is adding the diamond and putting it either on a chain or on a ring or on a necklace um, so then it's ready for that customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure like watching every decision that's made on from the customer side is, is pretty interesting. Uh, how does that sort of then inform your side of the design process uh, because I you know I think with with custom made products you have to find the right balance where customers aren't like just mm-hmm. paralyzed by indecision but they also feel like they're getting something unique and so how do you sort of use the two to inform the other yeah that's the the part that I really love like that's kind of our sweet spot is Mm -hmm. figuring out how to not overwhelm the customer. We never want to be like a huge menu of, you know, 10-page menu of designs. Uh, We really want to simplify the experience so they can come and feel at ease when they come to our site and feel like anything that they they look at they can see themselves within Mm. so i feel like it's our job as as the brand and as designers to design that foundation and from there the customer adds their personal touch to it so they're not designing the entire thing from start to finish which can feel super overwhelming and there's just way too many options Mm -hmm. they're taking something an an existing base an existing foundation Mm -hmm. and uh personalizing it from there right so it's, you know, I think there's a few different things that, that works here. So what do you think the customers are saying right now when they make decisions when they purchase, uh, especially looking at everything that, that the company offers from customization to, you know, sustainable diamond manufacturing to a more direct relationship with the brands they buy from? How does this all like, culminate to where you see like the future of customer behavior and interest and preference? And how are you do you feel like you're positioning the brand to survive in a, in a place where, you know, direct companies are are growing and, and yet kind of taking over uh, a lot of market share from from the old incumbents. Mm-hmm. I, I think, again, it comes back to putting the customer first always. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, we all we all know that to be true, but I'm not sure if the traditional companies really grasp what that means to put the customer first. Uh, it's really a whole mindset shift in how you do things. And um it's, it's the companies that will embrace that and uh, take that very seriously that I think will succeed. Mm-hmm. And how, So how do you put the customer first differently now than, than what like a retailer that maybe said that they were doing that and mm-hmm. actually wasn't in the past? I think a lot of it is based, you know, it was very much based on metrics and you have to hit these numbers and mm-hmm. you have to hit these goals, which were not necessarily in the customer's best interest. So now it's a more holistic view of what really is in the best customer interest and even if that does take us a little longer to create or even if that doesn't means that we're not hitting these same metrics are we creating the best customer experience is the customer happier if we do this at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh, can we you know stretch our return policy if this customer had like a really 
you know, horrible day or something happened, like how can we relate to them on a human level? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of taking on those almost like the burden from the customer mm-hmm. yes. and, as from the business. And so what does that look like as you scale? I mean, some, you know, a lot of these things are, are tricky to do properly, especially from the customization standpoint to the supply chain reimagination to things, you know, even from like a pretty utilitarian logistic level, like return policy and, and shipping rates and everything like that. So how do you, how do you put these all in, into place and, and make sure that the customer knows what they're getting so that they become more loyal so that, you know, the business is, is growing profitably? I think, again, it's uh, simplifying information. So mm-hmm. there's so much uh, to tell the customer and so much going on behind the scenes that they don't even know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's our job to to take all of that information and simplify it into kind of digestible bites that uh, they feel like are relevant to them and kind of discard any information that they don't feel like is relevant to them mm-hmm. and just take that on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, great, and you know, as we're looking to the rest of the year, what are you what are you working on? Where do you, what do you think, see as the next step for for the company to get to the next level? So we're definitely evolving the brand in a pretty big way. You know, we realized looking back, we've uh, kind of got stuck over the past few months in this cycle of releasing new designs to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. And when I see that happening, it really worries me that, you know, you fall into this uh, kind of fast fashion cycle of uh, new designs. And then you have, you know, you're kind of bogged down with inventory and then you have to discount and you have to sale. And so then you're in this cycle of fashion that has been a, kind of been against everything that I, I wanted to to start for NRO around, which mm-hmm. is a, a more sustainable business model. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where this idea of personalization comes into play, where we're really concentrating on these foundation designs and allowing for customization. So that you know goes into rebuilding the manufacturing process, rebuilding our website, uh, rebuilding our communications and our product. Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of um, 360 evolution plan that will hopefully get us to a, a more sustainable place. Right. Yeah. I feel like you know people have such an obsession with newness right now. Because because mm-hmm. there's so much, you know, there's so many brands out there. And so to cut through the noise, it's kind of just like you feel like you have, some, have to have something new to say. Yeah. So how do you go about, like you mentioned, it's like this, this 360 overhaul to kind of rethink that and make sure that you're you're slowing down the design process. How does that translate to like a communication strategy mm-hmm. with the customer to make sure that, you know, you're talking to them with something relevant and it doesn't have to yeah. be, here's just a new design? Yes, we've thought a lot about that. And, um, you know, for us, our values have always been kind of our mission more so than our product. Our product is a way to communicate our values. So we want to take this opportunity to really push ourselves to communicate new experiences and build new experiences. And that's what we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll always have our product that will be like our core product. But now we'll be able to really push the boundaries in how customers are experiencing our product, mm-hmm. whether that be online or through retail, uh, through different packaging, through partnerships, all of these other cool areas that we can now concentrate on mm-hmm. if we're not in that uh, cycle of, of fast fashion. Right. So where do you want the company to be in a year from now? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we have such an amazing team. I'd love to just continue growing our mm-hmm. team and evolving our product and our concept and be really seen as the you know forefront for modern luxury. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's great. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. 
As a reward for listening, use the code Hillary25 at glossy.co slash plus to get 25% off an annual subscription. That's H-I-L-A-R-Y 25 at glossy.co slash plus. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have. 